Hi, Ron here, one of the pastors at City Chapel. We're making our way through the Gospel of Luke together, and if you want to join us Sunday mornings, uh, we uh, are working through a book by Jamar Tisby, uh, known as the color, or it's called the Color of Compromise, and that's at 9:15. Uh, we'd love it if you joined us. We're just going chapter by chapter. Uh, you can find out where we're at on our website, citychapel.org. And then at 10.15, we're uh, having worship together, and we're making our way through the Gospel of Luke, as I said. And uh, this last week, we're at Luke 4. This upcoming Sunday, we'll be at Luke 5. Uh, we're reading it together, discussing it together, having bringing up questions and uh diving into the word together, but then uh, in this podcast, I'm diving a little bit deeper with more study and background uh, for what's going on. So this is Luke 4, and we'll be putting out another one for Luke 5 shortly. Um, so just keep coming back, checking this podcast if you'd like to continue hearing uh, just more in-depth study on Luke. So as I said, we're at Luke 4 this week. Uh, also, I'm, I'm not going to be reading the scripture on here. I'm assuming that you will have hopefully just read it. It's even best if you can have it open in front of you. But if you're, say, you're driving somewhere or out for a walk, whatever, and you can't have it open right then, that's okay. Just uh, try and read it ahead of time. So I'm actually going to say if you haven't read Luke 4 yet, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and pause this read it, and then come back. So go ahead and read Luke 4 right now. Okay, I am hoping that if you hadn't read it, that's what you're doing, uh, that you just paused this and went and read. So let's get into it. Uh, Luke 3 ended with the genealogy of, of Jesus. Um, and if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to the previous podcast. Um, and now we make our way into Luke 4, which is comprised of, I'm, I'm breaking it into five sections. Those five sections I are, uh, the first one is the temptation of Jesus in the desert or the wilderness um, by the devil. The next section is, is actually just two verses and it's just a summary of what Jesus does and what we can be expecting Luke to be writing about uh, and what Jesus is doing. And that's verses 14 and 15. Then the next section is Jesus at his hometown of Nazareth. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Luke's gospel. And Luke has Jesus start at his hometown of Nazareth uh, with the proclamation of who he is by reading uh, a prophecy from Isaiah um, and also just the rejection of, Je of Jesus' hometown rejecting him. Uh, then the next section is um, a handful of healing stories. Uh, and it and Luke 4 ends with Jesus preaching in, in the synagogues in different areas. So that first section, the temptation of, of Jesus in the wilderness or the desert um, by the devil. Um, Luke is all the, the other gospels that talk about this. It mentions that Jesus was there for 40 days. Uh, that 40, uh, maybe that's a, a number that you know pops up a handful of times in the Bible. Uh, it's signaling many things. Um, one of them is Moses's 40 days on the mountain uh, receiving the law in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 9. Also, Elijah's 40 days in flight to the mountain of God in 1 Kings 19. 
Elijah and Elisha you'll see come up a lot uh, in Luke's gospel as prophets from the Old Testament that um, he 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 uh, references and and brings up stories. Um, and then of course there's Israel's 40 years in in the wilderness or desert themselves, uh, which you can find in Deuteronomy 8. This, this 40 days is all, or yeah, there's this number 40. It's also where we get the 40 days for Lent each year. Why fasting is associated with Lent, with Jesus fasting during this time. And just one of the key takeaways um, from this story is that being faithful to God, being committed to God, does not exempt you or anyone else from struggles real, true struggles and temptations. In fact, those who are most engaged in following God seem to face the most opposition from evil and the devil. Uh, a phrase um, that I, I've heard before and that I, I think about a lot around this is, is that if you haven't seen the devil in a while, it's probably because you're doing what he wants you to do, or you're going in his direction, uh, and that if you, if for whatever reason it seems like there's a lot of um, mysterious, if you will, uh, opposition to what you're doing, and what you're doing is good, you can uh, trust that it's because you are doing what God wants you to do, and the enemy does not want you to continue doing that. Um, and just another thing from this, this part of Luke 4, the temptation story, the presence of the Holy Spirit didn't exempt Jesus from temptation, and so neither will it for you. Rather, it's as Fred Craddock calls it, the Spirit is the available power of God in the contest. Or, or when you're being tempted, when the opposition comes, the Spirit is that available power of God for you in the midst of it. Jesus is tempted uh, with three different temptations, and uh, these types of temptations um, are, are obviously personal uh, because the, the devil is tempting Jesus with them, but they, they also are, are more than just personal. The first one isn't just personal, it's also social. Uh, will Jesus' ministry be one of turning stones into bread? Uh, the second temptation is political as well. Um, will Jesus submit to the ruler of the world in order to fast-track saving the world? Will he take the, the easy fast-track route to save the world by submitting to the devil? Uh, and the third one is religious. Will Jesus win over Jerusalem and the world through coercion, co co coercing faith, avoiding death, showing off his supernatural powers? Or will he uh, win over the world the way God uh, has planned through uh, the way of the cross and showing the world um, the way that we can continually uh, love others truly and best sacrificially? So those are the three temptations, the real temptations for Jesus in the sense of uh, they, they weren't... Um, they wouldn't have been easy. They were genuine, genuine temptations for him. And the thing I want to bring to our attention with these is that none of them are temptations to fall. 
but their temptations to skip to fast track his way to the top. And we see that in the way the devil tempts from the beginning in Eden. Uh, the devil didn't say to Adam and Eve, do you want to be like me, like a devil? No, he, he tempted them by saying, do you want to be like God? Um, and we never, it's never a temptation to fall. That's always in the fine print of these temptations um, that, that we have. The next section is the start of Jesus's ministry. And, uh, the, but the first two verses, 14 and 15, um, Luke gives us a summary of what's to come, which he does frequently. And I'm going to just read those two verses for you. Uh, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all with these uh, summaries that Luke will do repeatedly throughout the Gospel of Luke as well as Acts. Um, and I'll mention them whenever they, they come up in a, in a chapter. Uh, we can expect for the next handful of chapters that this is what we're going to be seeing. Uh, Jesus um, going throughout Galilee, uh, teaching in synagogues, and growing in, um, in fame and popularity. So then after that, uh, the first public ministry, we see Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, and Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads the, the prophecy uh, from, from Isaiah. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read that here because it's, it's, um, it's so big. So, so he's, it says, he unrolled the scroll found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, and after saying that, he, he declares, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I just want to highlight that first word Jesus says in his public ministry besides the scripture he reads. That first word, today. Not yesterday, not someday, but today this has been fulfilled. And the point of bringing that up is that the church, we could do better by remembering that God's work is for today. Not yesterday, nor someday, but today. Then he begins to travel elsewhere, um, which indicating his ministry is for all. Yes, he starts with the Jews, but it's but it's always been for all. He he shares two stories uh, about why he's going to be going elsewhere uh, from the Old Testament. One of Elijah and one of Elisha. Um, as I said, he he loves those those prophets, showing that God's favor is for all, which includes non-Jews. And Fred Craddock, um, he, he says about this, he says, Anger and violence are the last defense of those who are made to face the truth of their own tradition, which they have long defended and embraced. For Luke, the tension that erupts here and will erupt again and again elsewhere 
is not between Jesus and Judaism or between synagogue and church. It is between Judaism and its own scriptures. What, what he means is that Jesus, seeing that the people are getting upset that he's going to, to others uh, besides just Jews, uh, he tells them those two stories of Elijah and Elisha from their own scriptures saying, look, this has been what God has been about always. Don't be mad at me. Get mad at these scriptures and your traditions that you always defend. But how true is this for us today? What tensions do we have between Christianity and our own scriptures? Or even between Jesus and our traditions, between Jesus and our country, scripture and our country, scripture and our traditions? We have these same tensions, these same things where we we hold to our traditions over and above even what Jesus might say or what scriptures would, would teach us to do and to live, especially when they clash with what our country says to do. And you can already see people turning towards violence to defend their religion here in our country. How far will people go? Jesus does not go elsewhere because he's rejected. He doesn't bring his message elsewhere because he's rejected. He's rejected because he goes elsewhere and brings it to the world. Then, in Luke 4, after his hometown, his fame and popularity starts to grow. One thing to note with these stories is that they are not necessarily exactly chronological, nor are they meant to be. And Luke gives pointers to this at different places. He might say things like, on a certain day or on another Sabbath. So it's not necessarily chronological. This is the next season in Jesus' ministry, but each story in this is not necessarily uh, meant to be exactly chronological. And that's okay. Also in these next um, chapters, and we've already seen the devil show up in the temptations, but we're going to see a lot of uh, demons or demon possession uh, show up. Um, and, and so I just want to uh, just say a couple things on, on that. Um, the first one is that um, the Gospels clearly say and state and believe that demons are real. They're a force that is powerful and it's opposed to what Jesus is up to, what God is up to. Go back to that prophecy that Jesus read in Isaiah to see what what they are, what what God is up to. And they show up in many ways and influence in many ways. Uh, and since they're of the from the supernatural world, it's not surprising that we see them already, knowing exactly who Jesus is and recognizing Jesus. Um, as a person uh, as a person of God and therefore an opponent of all the forces that would hurt, cripple, oppress, or alienate human life. Um, and as Fred Craddock says in, his, in speaking of Jesus, in his inaugural message in Nazareth, Jesus announced clearly his, his intention to relieve, release, heal, and restore life. All persons or powers to the contrary must view him as an enemy. 
And in this we see Paul and, and others later uh, in the epistles mention, mention that we should not forget the craftiness of the devil. And one way that I believe we see the craftiness of, of the devil is actually in how little demons show up in uh, advanced countries, if you will. Um, and especially one as egotistical as America. We see them and hear stories of demons showing up in, in, those, in those smaller, uneducated countries, we say, where it makes sense that those people would believe fairy tales like that, we think, all the while, letting us think it's, it's our own doing and our right that we have all this money and comfort while the rest of the world suffers. That's the temptation we've fallen for. Don't you deserve all that stuff? Don't worry about others. It's, it's your right. Be wary of the temptation for more and more without regards for others. And also one thing we find over and over in the Gospels, the last thing I want to say on this before moving on, in the Gospels, Acts, and the Epistles, is that Jesus and anyone with his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have power and authority over demons. They are not to be feared in that sense. Can they do things? Yes. Do they have supernatural powers? Yes. Should you fear them? No. In Christ, you have the power and authority over them. So that's all I want to say on that. Um, back in Luke 4, as, as Jesus continues his ministry, we see him healing people afflicted by demons, as well as those who are just sick, not because of demons. And this is important because it debunks the idea that, oh, you're sick, must be a demon. Or, oh, I have this disease or this illness, must be because of a demon. Or maybe maybe because I sinned and, and I, I need to clear it up in that sense. Can demons oppress people in this way? Yes, we, we see that here. But that should not be the expectation. We also see Jesus silencing the demons and tells many others not to talk about the stories of his healings and, and, and whatnot. And it, it begs to wonder, why is that? Could it be that he doesn't want people to have their own preconceived ideas about who the Messiah and Christ would be? Is that maybe why he's silencing the demons? He doesn't want them bringing their own definitions and, and other people's when he tells them not to share who, uh, potentially who he is, their own definitions of who the Messiah, who the Christ is, and then putting that on Jesus, which makes me then ask, what definitions of the Son of God or of the Messiah or of Christ do we have that don't actually line up with Jesus? What unlearning must we do as well? And actually take what Jesus himself says who he is and what he does. And learning that and having our lives reflect that. Not our own preconceived ideas of who the Messiah or who Jesus should be. Just uh, two last quick points here. And uh, the first one is that in verses 42 through 44... Luke mentions that Jesus goes to a desert place, uh, but where he was, or at least in Luke's telling of it right now, it's not actually geographically a desert place, thus letting us 
realize that Luke is talking about a theological desert place. Letting us know that Jesus, too, had desert seasons, desert places. Which I say this just because you're not alone if you are in a desert season. If you feel like you're in the desert place, the wilderness. Jesus also went through those struggles. Many of us do. If you are in that place, experiencing that right now, reach out to myself, to Anna, to anyone else. Letting them know that, hey, I'm, I'm in a desert place or life just is gray for me right now. Um, you're not alone. Jesus also had times where he was in the desert place. And then Luke 4 ends with Jesus preaching in synagogues all over. Showing, once again, the gospel is for the world. But first, it's going to be heard in the synagogues. Thanks for listening. This is Luke 4. You've been listening to City Chapel Radio as we are making our way through the Gospel of Luke. See you next time.